Three, two, one. Na Sibenya! Somebody said I should have done that last episode because we were doing the oh, yeah. thing. And they were like, what a yeah. waste. So I figured I'd make it even worse by doing it the episode after. We're sardonic. That was good too. Sorry, loud. Good. I think yeah. it was. I think Are you it was okay? the right. Is pitch. your voice okay? I'm fine. Are doing that little growl thing with your voice hurts. Uh, no, I just did it from memory, like through, okay. through how it sounds. <laughs> I don't. I don't speak the language. <laughs> you don't know what they're saying. No, but I think Fair I enough. know. I think I know it phonetically or onomatopoeically. That's not the right word, is it? How? What's the word to, to <laughs> use to describe right? just phonetically? No, phonetically is how it's spelled, isn't it? Don't ask me. N- now you've confused me by putting doubt in my brain. So <laughs> oh, someone shit. out there is raging. Anyway, I think I, I think I know it well enough just by how it sounds rather than what the actual words are, because it's it my alarm sense. clock. So I wake up to it every morning. Really? Doesn't well, that make you hate I it? Because no, I used to doesn't. have the Dexter theme as no. my alarm, and I just got so sick of it after a while. There are <laughs> things that have ruined songs for me in that same sense, but this song is not one of them. There was a, you know that song "Bird Is the Word." Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. So, so as soon as as soon as the instruments drop out, and you hear that surfer. <laughs> I yeah, said yeah, that yeah. as my alarm once when I was younger. <laughs> because Well, because I needed to wake up and I wasn't waking up properly. <laughs> and it was I was like in high school and I was like always sleeping through my alarm. I was like, I need something that's oh, just going to make me like awake. Yeah, really jolting. Right? Yeah. And oh, it okay. worked. Okay. It worked that. really, really well, but it was fucking awful. And I, it, it would invade my <laughs> dreams. Like there would be somebody like <laughs> yeah, doing that in my face in my dream and I'd still be asleep and I'd wake up eventually but it was the most uncomfortable unnerving way to wake up and i was miserable for like months because i kept forgetting to change my alarm back <laughs> to something else because <laughs> I'd, I'd wake up and i'd be like well gotta go to school and then just go on with my day and then yeah that was miserable that's why most of these phones don't have like stock alarms like that because hmm. it gives mm-hmm. you fucking nightmares or it scares you that's like a so form of self-harm like the... <laughs> yeah yeah so they just do like the nice wind chime, like waking up or whatever. But that shit doesn't work. Yeah, I don't know. Like th- this is the first time that I've uh, personalized my phone in a while. Uh, I decided mm-hmm. to change my alarm, all my alarm clocks back, and I decided to change my text notification to the sound of uh, Master Chief dying <laughs> in Halo <laughs> One, <laughs> which is That's like so such cool. a, such a great sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all the death so sounds good. in Halo One yeah. are phenomenal. <laughs> that one's mine. You picture the guy in the sound recording studio. <laughs> I think they're the best. Like Mike Shank in a American movie. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Those are my favorite death screams from any game. Oh shit! I gotta turn them off. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter just loops them. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the other one that's kind of a meme going around is like Yoda from one of the Lego games. He has this like really unnerving death scream. Sounds so bizarre. Oh, really? Oh, you don't know about it? It's 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 not no. like the biggest I'm, meme. I played the game, but it's kind of like a obscure yeah. meme there. But it's a meme for sure. I'm a mm-hmm. memologist. 
Did you study it at uni? Yeah. Speaking of memes, um, Cool Cat's been up to some shit again. Uh, <laughs> this might as well be a recurring segment at this point. I'm basically making it that way. <laughs> There's something cool new corner. to talk about every week or month, you know? Yeah, we yeah. can have it. We can have a name. So what happened? Because I, I didn't hear anything about this. Yeah, I don't understand anymore. So uh, remember back when I was speculating that Derek would just be in the suit playing Cool Cat because of the line cut down the screen yeah. in that other promo. Well, it turns out that he actually has that intention, and so he took a bunch of old footage from years ago when Cool Cat was doing the uh, Hollywood parade, and he re- repackaged it, repurposed it as a new video, but dubbed his own voice over the other actor who was already Cool Cat, Jason Johnson. So Derek dubbed Mm. his own voice over Cool Cat, and it's very disturbing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, imagine Daddy Derek doing an impression of Cool Cat, and that's what it is. Oh, my God. And that goes on for 10 minutes, and it's great. And so I guess what wound up happening was uh, the Jason Johnson... Although his relationship with Derek was already fragile because Derek kept asking him to continue doing cool cat shit without really paying him much money. And at this point, after Derek moved to Vegas, it's like, okay, well, now this guy has to drive all the way to Vegas just to film some stuff that he's not really getting paid much for. He's already got a full time job, you know. And so he was just like, okay, well, I can't really do it as much anymore. And then he wound up doing the interview on Red Suit Interviews where he kind of... He's he's very candid. He's very uh, he takes the piss out of Derek a little, <laughs> and uh, oh right, yeah. He, it seems like he fully understands and grasps the situation, and he's self aware about it, even if Derek isn't. And that made Derek very upset. And so, yeah, after that point, they're just not talking to each other, <laughs> and Derek's now playing pretty much every character. So that's uh, that's where we're at. It might make it funnier. It's um, it's different. It adds to the story. It keeps things entertaining. Whenever, yeah. whenever somebody makes a documentary about all of this, this is like the new chapter. So I'm glad we, ha- I'm glad we're making right. pr- progression here. And so now Derek, uh, despite that whole fiasco with both of us, he is now <laughs> copyright claimed the two interviews on this guy's channel that just featured Jason Johnson, even though none of Derek's copyrighted wow. content is in there. And he, he wound up saying on Twitter that, like, oh, yeah, it's because you used Cool Cat in the thumbnail and some of my viewers got confused, which I think you're allowed to do, <laughs> you know? I think you're allowed yeah. to use Cool Cat in your thumbnail if you're interviewing the actor who previously played Cool Cat. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's related, Derek. As long as it's not misleading, then it's I think not. it's fine. It's not it in any way. Like cool title, Cat, it's so very it's clearly cool an interview, yeah. yeah. Then Jason Johnson, I guess, in an act of vengeance or or uh, <laughs> some sort of, uh, I guess, karma, <laughs> he uh, he copyright claimed the new Cool Cat video, which <laughs> I guess two wrongs make a right. I don't know. I'm kind of I I don't feel feel great about this because I mean Derek is, is obviously in the wrong. Jason Johnson, you don't own the rights to that footage, even if you were in it, even if he didn't credit you. Like, you'd have to produce a contract that said that you somehow own the rights to the footage, even if he doesn't credit you. Like, that that doesn't mean that you own the copyright. So now both of them are in this, like, copyright war, and it's just like, okay, well, what is life anymore? This is over Cool Cat. This is over, like, a bizarre children's character 
that no children actually like. I was gonna say this is such a waste of time for everyone it's involved. It's very <laughs> entertaining because it's just over this fucking guy in a cat suit. <laughs> <laughs> these legal battles and just all this nonsense that doesn't need to happen. A bunch of adults. He hasn't made any new content in like two years. I know, he, he just repurposed the, the same old content. It's totally ridiculous. <laughs> just yeah. let it go and move on to something else. I would say keep making Cone. cool cat stuff. Just stop copyright claiming people. Yeah, he should, he should make cool cat stuff, but not, like, pretend to make cool cat stuff. He's but just he's, repurposing the same shit. He's ruined, like, every friendship he's ever had, it seems yeah. like. I know! It's always everyone else's fault. He blames the world for his problems and, and never himself. So it just keeps going exactly. deeper and deeper. He's crazy. There's, there's clear ways in which this could have been okay. He could have heard Jason Johnson's concerns... Been like, oh wait, I'm not paying him enough. If I don't have enough money, maybe I should start a Kickstarter campaign and not scam people this time. <laughs> or, you know, if, if he if he had just not been such an asshole to everybody, then people would be flocking to support his project. That's the biggest yeah. issue here. Is like he doesn't understand how the internet works. He doesn't understand that you can't just like copyright claim people completely unjustifiably, block everybody lie on your Kickstarter projects, and then expect people to keep donating to your projects. I wish that he didn't do that, because I want to see more of this, you know? I know. It's the classic yeah. Streisand effect. Yeah, pretty mm -hmm. much. So, that's where we're at. <laughs> Just thought I'd give you guys the update. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. That was great. That's funny. Can't wait for the next one in two weeks, when he does something else that's stupid. This is more for me than it is for you, because, like, I'm, I'm a massive cool cat voyeur i guess it's for I, everybody like i i am so fascinated and invested in this universe the drama the behind the yeah. scenes the cool cat lore all of it i'm so invested and then by the end of the day if i don't tell people about it then i'm the only one paying attention uh, <laughs> i need somebody yeah. else to understand man i need somebody else to go through this with me so thank you guys for it's your cinematic universe it pretty much it's, it's yeah. so bizarre I love it so much. Speaking <laughs> of bizarre, Uva Bowl owns a restaurant in Vancouver, and I went. And it was very nice. How was it? It was delicious. Did you meet him? No, yeah, unfortunately, him, I didn't. But I talked to the server, because by the end of the night, like, as intimidating as Uva Bowl is, I decided, like, okay, well, I have to at least ask. I have to at least try. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I asked my server, and he seemed to uh, be very intrigued by <laughs> by me asking to uh talk to him apparently a lot of people do it and he seemed to he seemed to get the idea he's like yeah he's a very uh, interesting character but uh <laughs> he told me that he's uh he he goes to germany in the summer to his like home in germany with his wife or something so uh, so if i showed back up sense. there not in the summer he'd apparently be there like almost every day is what i was told <laughs> wow so, oh, i guess okay. i'll go back i wasn't you expecting that yeah. Apparently, he's very passionate about it. The food was great. Cool. Very good service. Good atmosphere. Surprisingly, not that many people there. And like my friends that I brought there had heard about this restaurant completely independently of any Uva Bowl thing. Like this is a this yeah. is a renowned restaurant. This is like on Canada's top 100 something list. I feel like he could really? play his cards right and like get more of an audience in there if he wasn't such a... <laughs> You know, like how yeah. exactly letterbox, you know, the shit he writes on there. It's, that's <laughs> probably that's probably how he is with everything. You know, it's just his personality. He's very uh, 
provocative. That's the thing, though, is like most people going to that restaurant don't know it's him. Like yeah. most people have no idea. But he could have a whole crowd. Yeah, maybe. He plays cards, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. that's the. He okay, should. That's what you're saying. He should. He should get like an agent, a new agent. Maybe <laughs> yeah. he has one already. And yeah. they're like, yeah, let's repurpose your image to make you like a family-friendly guy. <laughs> he could have his own fucking chain of restaurants. <laughs> I sent you guys some pictures. Did you read the, uh, in the menu, there's a menu forward. I guess I'm uh-huh. going to read it for, <laughs> if, in case you didn't, oh, yeah. but yeah. for the people read in the it. audience that want to hear. Born in Wermelskirchen, Germany. Uwe Boll was only 10 years old when he started filming shorts on his Super 8 camera. So this is like at the restaurant. It's literally in the menu talking about his movies now. Yeah. His drive to become a filmmaker has resulted in an explosive career in which he financed, produced, and directed over 35 features, including Darfur, <laughs> awarded Best Film at the New York Film Festival, Rampage, Auschwitz, Max Schmeling, and Assault on Wall Street. His films have been each sold in over 100 countries and played at more than 70 international film festivals. This is in the menu. This is in the menu. <laughs> Bull's passion <clears throat> for excellent food and wine has led to his most recent venture, the opening of Bauhaus Restaurant. Inspired by modern German cuisine, Bull saw an opportunity to bring the taste of contemporary Germany to Vancouver. Much like his passion for film, Bull is adamant that every Bauhaus guest has a unique and pleasurable culinary experience. And then there's a quote for him from him at the bottom. My vision for Bauhaus is not only to bring cuisine from Germany, but have our guests experience the culture of dining in Europe where food and wine go hand in hand. Uva Bull. In his menu. <laughs> wow. I think that's pretty great. Yeah. That PR spin, though, is hilarious. Oh, it's <laughs> uh-huh. really great. It's like the most positive way you could d- describe his career up it, to this They've point. played in <laughs> over 100 countries and over 70 yeah. film festivals. <laughs> you know what I learned from that? That he made a movie called Auschwitz. And I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. It's like a period piece about the Holocaust. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know he did that. It's like a comedy, but it's like totally it? tasteless and <laughs> it has like a 3.1 on IMDb. I didn't watch it. Oh, we should watch it. It's probably terrible. Yeah, maybe one day recommend that. What if it's great? <laughs> it's probably bad. It's probably bad. Why would you say that? Uh, it's Uwe Boll. Because he's not a he's not a very good director. Well, the food was great. <laughs> yeah, the food is great. It's uh, it's a little pricier. He's, he's a better at go, food. Expect to expect to pay a bit. It's called Bauhaus. B A U H A U S. So there's your little plug, Uwe Boll. I really enjoyed your food. Yeah. Hope to get to have an interesting conversation. Yeah, come on the podcast, Uve. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what would that be would like? Would you guys do that? I would totally Have do it. Have on the podcast? I would totally yeah. do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Uve, if you hear this, come on this podcast, man. You're more than welcome. I'll probably meet him yeah, in Vancouver, 100%. so I'll extend that offer. <laughs> also, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll be back. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, small plates, delicious. Great. That's pretty... Oh, yeah, there was a big... The the art on the wall said art. I don't know if you saw that picture that I sent you. The the art on the wall oh, in the, in the restaurant said art, which was awesome. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know what it was. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, Ralph and I saw a movie. Speaking of art. Yeah. <laughs> which isn't out yet in the UK. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have a choice. So yeah. it's about America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In America, by America, for I, America. It, still doesn't, I, it's, it would still be nice if it just had a timed release everywhere. It's such a yeah, big movie. Like, Sony, there's no it real is. reason why you have to do that. Yeah, I wish it was projected on film in more places. 
because the film showings were very minimal. And that's like the way he wants you to see it. We haven't even said what movie, by the way. It's Once Upon oh, yeah. a Time in Hollywood. It's, um, <laughs> I was going to say, it's Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Man, I wish I was playing in film. <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to watch Hobbs and Shaw in 35mm. Oh, well. The way it was meant to be seen. Yeah. I did see it in 35 the second time. The first time I just saw it. Oh, digital. you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in 35? Yeah. Okay, cool. In 35, and so I did both. Yeah, you can notice a difference. I, I see why he wants people to, to watch it that way. The light just has a different feel to it. There, There is a difference. Um, I wish there that is. there were better theaters in Vancouver equipped for that kind of thing. I know that there has to yeah. be plenty in Toronto because like, TIFF has the best infrastructure for a film festival in, in, that I've seen anyway. But Vancouver, mm-hmm. th- there's, there's only one theater that is equipped to do film. And the screen's not that mm-hmm. big. So even though I saw The Hateful Eight there, it's like, well, you know, I didn't really get the full experience out of it that I should have. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's the thing. It's hard to project that way, too. I saw it, like, right on Hollywood Boulevard, so they did a good job. That's I saw cool. it at the theater in the movie, the Cinerama. Nice. Oh, wow. Like, that, it's in that theater. So That's I saw always it fun. There. Not in that, like, dome. They were playing it there, though. That's really cool. Yeah. But it's an excellent movie, uh, regardless of what format you see it in. So mm-hmm. um, I'm looking forward to you seeing it, Alex, to see what you think of it. Yeah, but really I thought it was great. See. Seeing it both times, I thought it was just, I think it's one of his best things. And I think it's probably the most timeless movie he's ever going to make. I feel like history is going to do really good to this movie. <laughs> what do you mean by timeless, though? Because it is kind of like a period piece. Yeah, but there's the movies that are clearly homages to like the like like Death Proof we're gonna talk about in yeah. the future or Kill mm-hmm. Bill, where they're very gimmicky and they have a lot of show and parts that are gonna get dated over time. I think over reliance on music and references, and I don't feel that way about this. Really? Movie. Yeah, it's glossed with like 1960s the glamour and the music and all that shit, but. I felt like at its core, there was so much more going on aside from that. And it didn't feel gimmicky. It felt like one of his least gimmicky movies. I understand what you're talking about completely. I'm not sure I would mm-hmm. describe it that way because okay. I don't really consider you... I don't really consider Kill Bill to be like a, a very gimmicky movie. I would call it like more stylistic. I would call it more like mm-hmm. upbeat also, I, I feel like what really separates. Yeah, I love Kill Bill too. To be to yeah. be clear, but yeah, uh, I feel what I feel like what really separates this film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is that it's a much more mature pacing and tone for ninety percent of it. Yeah, ten percent of it is like his same old Tarantino shtick, in my opinion. <laughs> but well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna say <laughs> Alex hasn't seen it, so I'm not gonna say anything. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But it it is so bizarre. Because I really, really enjoyed the slower pacing. I really, really enjoyed how it was more character-driven, character-focused. Yeah. Like, that's the most you get out of the movie, in my opinion. And, and yeah, I, I I guess you could come out of that and, and it would feel like, yeah, it's less gimmicky. I think it's just different. I think it's, I, I think it's just a very different goal in mind, and I'm not sure I would call either as gimmicky. Mm-hmm. I think with like Kill Bill or Death Proof, he's mimicking a genre where the characters are more cartoonish and more anime. Yeah. Like Kill Bill's very anime, very so they're not like real people. They're not. They don't feel deep. 
but there's still very likable, fun characters within that genre he's doing. Here, the characters are way more fleshed out, and I loved all of them so much more. It felt more like the characters from Pulp Fiction or Jackie Brown than it did like the the caricatures or the stereotypes he, he kind of does in his worst movies, mm-hmm. the ones I don't like as much. I also think the movie looks excellent. I think on a technical level, it's marvelous. I think Leo and Brad Pitt are great. Yeah. I think it's their best performances, honestly. I can't think oh, really? of a performance I like better from either of them. It's so. genuinely one of my favorite Brad Pitt performances. I might, yeah. I might say that there's some better... That, uh, Brad Pitt and Fight Club is like up there, too. I would say my but... favorite Brad Pitt would probably be in 12 Monkeys. Have you seen oh, yeah, 12, Monkeys? 12 Monkeys? I think he did an yeah, amazing job. Yeah, he's great in that. Or Burn After Reading, too, is a great one. Yeah, I would, I would say 12 Monkeys would yeah. be my favorite Pitt. Favorite Leo. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think about that one harder. Titanic. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street is like the other one. And Django. He's good in Django, but he's not in mm. it a lot. I was just thinking last night because there was a... No, not last night. The night before. I was watching um, some really old David Blaine specials. And there's a really young mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio in one of them just talking about like performance and magic being art and all that. And he's so different. I keep forgetting that young Leo <laughs> and current Leo are the same person. Like the guy in the Titanic, yeah. this like pretty yeah. boy. It's so weird. He's it changed is. completely. That's why he wasn't a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say not good. <laughs> Dude, in Titanic, he's not good. I, well, <laughs> Titanic, maybe we should rewatch that bad for the Titanic. podcast or some shit. <laughs> maybe one day, but I do not like him in Titanic. Okay. I think in Aviator, he almost ruins the movie. Oh, really? But maybe one day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember liking that, but I haven't uh, seen that in a while. He's good in Gilbert Grape. Catch Me If You Can as well. He's good in that. Catch Me If You Can. He's good in that. But like uh, Gangs in New York, I don't like him. I'm going to try to voice my criticisms about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the best I can without spoiling anything for Alex because he hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, it's hard. And all the other Brits out there. I want to like, re- you know, rebuttal too without spoiling anything. I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> Like I said, I really enjoyed the slower pacing and tone. I do feel as though 10% of the movie went back to his old shtick, and I kind of wish that it didn't do that, regardless of how satisfying it is. Because in the same way that, like, you would even call, like, the whole, you know, Kill Bill kind of tone, you would, you know, maybe call it gimmicky, it felt as though the 10% of the movie that did that although very satisfying, not going to lie about that, did feel like just kind of unnecessary, like it was from a different movie. And now that I've heard people's interpretations, and I'm not going to say exactly what these interpretations are, now that I've heard more interpretations, I'm warming up to it a bit more. I think it's something that I'll probably enjoy more on my second watch now that I know what to expect, if that makes sense. Yeah, hmm. I was going to say that too. Upon my second watch, I liked it, I liked it more because I knew what to expect and I knew that was coming. And also what you're saying about the the interpretations of it, that's probably along the lines of what I got out of the ending. Yeah, I think and it I for sure that. has like a thematic purpose mm-hmm. for yeah, him to- telling it. the Again, story Again, we can't spoil way. it. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Are you going to spoil um, it, Ralph? No, absolutely. Absolutely, I'm not. I'm not. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good at not spoiling things, I think. Yeah, it's always me. I know. <laughs> It is. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do complain. I We might as well mention this. Some people mention that this film feels sexist. I'm not sure. Not sure I entirely agree I with that. that. There's some people that are really no. uh, 
upset about the representation of Bruce Lee, like the interpretation of his character uh, and just how he comes off as kind of like a wimpy joke. They found that to be like mm-hmm. disrespectful. I, right. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think Quentin Tarantino is necessarily going for like saying that this is genuinely how he feels about Bruce Lee. Yeah. I, I didn't I never got that impression. I just thought it was one of those like, OK, alternate history sort of like. You know, wouldn't it be funny if this happened sort of thing? Exactly. Second glorious bastards, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I never really got the impression that he hates Bruce Lee, especially considering how much of Kill Bill was an homage to him, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. I've always felt His that own caricaturish versions of these celebrities. Yeah. He treats them like they're mythic figures almost. Yeah. Like they're figures out of the Bible. And he's just like, mm-hmm. you know, rewrites them to fit his story. I like that a lot. But the main characters are pretty fleshed out. People also don't like how um, Sharon Tate is handled in the yeah. movie. And not not to say anything, but I thought it was great. And I thought it was very tasteful, especially after seeing The Haunting of Sharon Tate or movies like that. I haven't I seen that. I thought it was very tasteful how they just more just paid respect to her. They show footage of her in the movie, like in a, in a theater, mm-hmm. like footage of her, not Margot Robbie. Yeah. And I love that because it's like Tarantino is showing us Sharon Tate's performance and what she did back then. I think that's way more effective and more powerful to to make the story work Mm -hmm. than Mm. show Margot Robbie there. So I don't know why people were like, why isn't Margot Robbie in the movie? Yeah, that would be disrespectful to like (laughs) CGI Margot Robbie. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to watch it a second time to really like solidify my opinions on pretty much anything that we've talked about for this movie mm-hmm. like i'm still sure not not i would like to see it a few more times not too. like super on the fence but like still still need to i guess confirm things to myself as to how i really feel mm-hmm. <laughs> about any of these so. yeah i really Absolutely. enjoyed it seven out of ten closer to an eight but we'll see on my second yeah. watch i gave it a five out of five mm-hmm. is that your Can't favorite of the year so far Second favorite, Midsummer is my you favorite. You prefer Midsummer, okay? Yeah, uh, I like it more than Climax. I've, mm. I've come to that. Yeah, mm. okay. really inspired use of music too, and I loved how he used like radio ads from that era mm-hmm. as score in scenes. It was really brilliant. He's always been great <laughs> in music. Yeah, yeah, he has. Like he always picks up obscure music and stuff. Mm. The mm. only part there was one. There was one track that was also in Bad Times at the El Royale. Uh, that was distracting, but that's it. Speaking of Quentin Tarantino movies, <laughs> we, <laughs> the recommendation from last week is uh, Death Proof, something that uh, all of y'all on the subreddit and other places were eager to hear us talk about and possibly bicker over. Yeah, because they know we disagree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so spoiler warning for Death Proof and also Grindhouse, so like Planet Terror, Death Proof uh, is a film that has come out of this passion project from Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino in which they decided they wanted to revive and bring back this 70s style kind of drive-in grindhouse double feature sort Mm -hmm. of thing for a, a newer generation so that they can experience what they did when they were younger. Many of these grindhouse films that would play double features would be very cheesy, very kind of like gratuitous, gory, horror, schlocky kind of thing. And so they really wanted to 
incorporate that element and basically make parody films. And what they mm -hmm. wound up doing is they also got other notable directors, a lot of their friends, uh, Eli Roth, Edgar Wright, Edgar Rob Wright, Zombie. Yeah. Uh, they got a bunch of people to do a bunch of fake trailers for films that played before and in between each movie. Some of those got turned into real films. So uh, Machete got turned into a movie. <laughs> Machete, Robert yeah. Rodriguez decided yeah. to make one. Machete 1 and 2. In Canadian theaters, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, the trailer for Hobo with a Shotgun also played in between the films. And oh, yeah. at that point, it was that just a, a fake trailer. So that it's also got film. turned into... A real movie and the reason why it was in canadian theaters is apparently the filmmakers for hobo with a shotgun won some sort of contest where they submitted their fake trailer and it got to play in with the grindhouse film so oh cool. yeah these filmmakers from i think nova scotia but yeah that wound mm -hmm. up getting getting turned into a real movie just because uh people liked it so much and yeah it's really cool yeah i like hobo with a shotgun too i like that movie yeah I never actually saw the full movie because I turned it on and I was watching it with the wrong people. I think my mom and within like the first... <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's not a good mom movie. It was, it was pretty yeah. close to the beginning where somebody like had their head sticking out of a manhole and they got their head crushed by a car or something. She was like, turn it off. I was like, okay, fine. And then I never watched Sorry, the rest mom. of it. But <laughs> anyway... I, I happen to love Death Proof, still love it. I think it's a very satisfying movie for what I'm looking for. Uh, I know you guys do not feel the same way and probably still don't even after revisiting it. I don't know. You'll have to tell me. What did you guys think about it? Also, should we start with like the whole Planet Terror Grindhouse thing before we get into Death Proof? Because it's like, I guess like chronologically that one comes first. Yeah, yeah? sure. Well, which one played first in theaters? Is it was it Planet Terror? It was yeah. Grindhouse first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think Death Proof ever got like a release in theaters on its own. I don't think either of them got a release in theaters oh, really? separately. Yeah, uh -huh. I think they both only played yeah. as the Grindhouse thing, and then the extended versions yeah. of each got sold on DVD and Blu-ray. Maybe like small screenings, like limited screenings, mm. Mm. film festivals. Yeah, no, yeah, I think Death Proof actually went to Cannes or something. I think that might have been a yeah, Cannes. Yeah, like Death Proof. Just Death Proof. Uh -huh. The Planet Terror feels more genuine to like oh, the really? actual Grindhouse. That's I, what I, I always thought as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always yeah. thought that. And that it's just kind of bad, you know, <laughs> like it's just goofy and over yeah. the top, but yeah. like it knows what it is and it's fun. I, I would say Death Proof for sure knows what it is, but Planet Terror is something where it is hilariously gory and cheesy. I'm not like ever upset at watching it, even from what revisiting it recently. Like there were quotes in my head that I could see coming that I, you know, I'm going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. Just stuff that I, I was quoting when I was younger mm -hmm. that I really loved. Mm -hmm. It's got a great cast. Michael Bean, Tom Savini, Josh Brolin, Freddie Rodriguez. When did you when did you see this? When you I was, saw it like in theaters? Yeah. So that was 2007. Mm -hmm. So I must have been like 15, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And cool. I, I swear to God, oh, I watched that movie the Grindhouse movie in theaters probably more times than I've seen any other movie in theaters because I kept really? dragging different friends to it. I was like, you got to see this. I was so pumped. <laughs> the whole I was experience. So exci yeah, exactly. With, with both I was movies. so excited okay. and so happy that this experience was something that we could, you know, watch in a crowd in 2007 
you know, getting like a little slice of the past almost, even if it's not completely genuine. Hmm. Yeah. I was fucking hyped for this movie, but mm -hmm. it didn't make much money. I think <laughs> no. I was like half yeah, the ticket well, sales. Well, because it's a wild idea. I don't know how many people want to sit through two yeah, movies. It's such a niche idea. Yeah. Like the yeah. potential amount of people who will ever, ever even be interested in it is already small. I'm surprised it did as well as it did. But, yeah, to be yeah, honest, good for them. That's that's just yeah. Mm -hmm. When you put Tarantino's name in front of something, you get a certain amount of people at least. Yeah, not Rodriguez. No, because <laughs> he makes crap. Spy Kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spy Kids. people aren't as hyped for his shit. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all you have to say about Planetary. Honestly, yeah, I, I, I mean, I saw it a few it. years ago. Like, yeah. I've only seen it once, and I it, was, it was like okay, bad on purpose, cute. and it was okay, but it was boring. Yeah. Well, like it is gory and fun. I agree with you that it's not like as memorable as Death Proof. It doesn't feel like, which is why I kind of disagree when you say it's like more genuine, I guess. Uh, I guess it depends what you mean by that. Like you're saying it's more genuine in the fact that it's bad. I'm saying that they're, they're mimicking a genre of, of crap, kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not all of it's crap. And Planet Terror was just, okay, we're going to make a, a cheesy, bad, explosive, and gory film that you're going to be entertained by. And Death Proof has elements of that. There's like 10 minutes of it that's that. And mm -hmm. that part yeah. is okay. But the rest of it's like Tarantino trying to make a Tarantino movie. And it's like halfway. It's halfway mm. a Grindhouse movie, but it's also Tarantino trying to make art. And I don't like it. Oh, really? It's a, it's a mess. See, the way I would feel about <laughs> that is, is if we're talking about recreating the overall, I guess, narrative structure of one of those grindhouse films, then Robert Rodriguez did it much better because there, I don't think there would have been anything like Tarantino's movie back. There's nothing like it yeah, today yeah. either. Even in, even Tarantino's own films, there's nothing like Death Proof. It's very it's very mm -hmm. unique, especially in how it's structured. I, I name another movie. I'm sure there might be some, but like name another movie where the main characters die halfway through and then you get another <laughs> cast for the second half of the movie. I, I fucking love that it does that. Well, I would say the main characters are the, the girls you meet in the second half of the movie, and you don't meet them yeah. until halfway through. And the you meet the villain in the first half. Like, yeah. The first half is the introduction of the villain, and yeah, the second half is the introduction to the heroes who defeat him. Yeah, but it's still a very unique structure. Yeah, I guess unique is a way to phrase it. I, I thought it it was, like, totally off balance. <laughs> And boring. No, I because don't because of the way he structured it. I don't feel that way because I feel like the the overall goal, I guess, maybe not completely, but part of what I really enjoyed about having it structured that way is that I didn't anticipate the deaths of those first characters at all. There are no movie right. there are very few movies out there where you can introduce me to a cast of characters and it wouldn't be incredibly obvious when all of them are going to die, especially horror movies, you know? Like, you you wouldn't mm -hmm. expect literally all of those girls to just die at that moment and just be like, oh, well, that's it. And then the movie just keeps going. I think that that's pretty genius in terms of, like, sure. audience expectations. I didn't well, it expect really it, but I didn't like too. any of those characters. Oh, sorry, Alex, I'm cutting you yeah. off. Go ahead. Well, on that on that point, it does really help the the tension build up in the second half because oh yeah, I don't think it's it's not quite as much of a mess um as I think 
Ralph reckons it is, but I also don't think it's as good as uh, Adam does because mm. the the first half I find really dreary and mostly uninteresting mm-hmm. until uh, the villain is kind of introduced because he kind of commands the screen. But there's so much time wasted on this like flowery, look, I'm Quentin Tarantino, look how smart I am kind of dialogue. And I know the whole point is supposed to be it's sort of like a satire of like B movies, like Manos and all that kind of stuff, but. It, it does get kind of annoying after a while, but anyway, going back to that point about the, the second half is when it really kicks into gear for me because you know what this guy is capable of because of what mm-hmm. they set up in the first part. And you're expecting them to all die, obviously. So the subversion of that does make the impact of them getting revenge way more meaty mm-hmm. and is really satisfying. I like the the Grindhouse version better because it, it, it cuts down that beginning section so much more. Because um, in the the standalone release, there's mm-hmm. much more of the the first four girls, which I don't think are very interesting characters to watch. I think the the dynamic no. of the characters that are introduced in the second half are much more interesting. Their characters are way more clear, well defined. They talk about more interesting things, but you have to wait so long to get to them. And by well, the time the you're dialogue there... is very bad for for all of the movie, I think, but especially the beginning, because I think he was trying to mimic the style of the films he loves more in that first half. Well, the first half is kind of like a horror movie. But it's bad dialogue. Yeah, it's more grindhouse-y. And then, like, in the second half, it becomes more of a Tarantino film, I feel. That's when it kind of drops the whole grindhouse gimmick, basically, altogether and becomes a different movie. To help me understand your (laughs) position better, can you give me an example of the dialogue that you thought was bad? Dialogue that I thought was bad. Oh my like, god! Like what about it I was bad? Everything. I thought every single line. No, I'm, I'm, like, I, I'm I never met under- real people that talk like that ever. I never met real people who talk like that ever in my life. Perspective. I, 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 I don't have any lines written down. But... It seemed like he was doing cheap imitations of his previous films. Like there's very yeah. sort of snappy Pulp Fictiony dialogue, and there's like Reservoir Dog like nods here and there. But which it I felt get. very intentionally corny too. But it didn't work because I didn't know what he was going for. Well, is this a, pro- good, is this a well-written scene problem. or is this supposed to be bad dialogue? I don't know. And that's how I feel about everything in this film. The film limits itself by making it a try-hard B-movie. Like, that's all it can be, like, at, at the end of the day compared to... Uh, I think the film would be better if... It used, like all his previous films, he's used these genre goofy movies to inspire his works. But he elevates yeah. them. And he's held back so much by that corny b-movie style in my opinion anyway that yeah it doesn't really enhance or or i would just prefer to see some of these characters sort of fleshed out in a more typical tarantino way without the b-movie gimmick Mm -hmm. it just gets tiring after a while i don't like the mimicry of old cheap movies this film costs 30 million dollars to make it's a big hollywood film i want to see some production value i don't want to see like how did you spend 30 million dollars mimicking a cheap as shit fucking genre no i i I, that's why i like hobo with a shotgun more because it had more authenticity to it it felt like like i was watching one of those real films or dead alive yeah i didn't like like i just don't like the tone of this film I find that very fascinating because, like, I'm I'm a big fan of of recreating those types of genres, whether whether it's like, oh yeah, it looks intentionally cheap or not. Like, you have to understand that to to create even a cheap looking film uh, nowadays that looks like a '70s movie, especially when you're using real film, it's it's going to be like fairly expensive to do that, regardless. And I feel like in terms of how he was able to create something that felt genuinely 70s. 
he did a much better job than Rodriguez at doing that. Rodriguez's film, <laughs> in terms of the cinematography style, in, ter- like the in terms of stop, like most stop. of it, yeah, I, I want to finish my point here because, like in in Rodriguez's yeah. film, I read a review back when this Grindhouse thing came out. I have no idea who said this, but the the quote has always stuck with me, saying that Rodriguez's film feels more like a new movie that's been played on a projector and the film reel has been played like hundreds of times and is really worn out. Whereas Quentin Tarantino's film feels like a genuinely old movie that's been played maybe a few times, you know, like he didn't add as much of that, like grainy uh, scratches, the imperfections, the wear and tear, light leaks, yeah, stuff like that. Like Quentin didn't add as much of that, but that's because his film is just so much more genuine in the production design, in the I think there's actors. tons of that in the movie, though. Hmm? No, it's there, not nearly as much as Robert Rodriguez is, that's for sure. I mean, I don't know. I think it's in the film a lot, to a point where I thought it was distracting. Really? Like, but I not agree in with you. I enjoy, you I enjoy directors' pain. Really? Um, I, I, again, I saw Planet Terror two years ago, so... Oh, I you didn't rewatch watch that? Okay. Because I felt like... No, I didn't rewatch that one. Okay. I watched the full-length Grindhouse this time, which I had never seen. But the, Planet the Terror, one. you watched the full-length Grindhouse this time. That has Planet Terror in no, it. No, I watched I watch the full-length... Death Proof. Uh, death Proof, okay. sorry. Yeah, okay. Full-length Death you Proof this time. Me. The director's cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I <laughs> confused myself. <laughs> but I enjoy directors paying homage, like you said. What Tarantino just did with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I genuinely feel he's paying homage to an era, but also telling a story. And here... All of that stuff just felt distracting, and he uses it for comedy. Like, there's the opening where he changes the title of the film, and he throws in all kinds of shit like that. I and love I it. didn't find any of that funny. I love it. Yeah, again, you love I'm it. I'm so happy you loved it. I'm happy someone it enjoyed time. it. But I really just thought this it was so annoying, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Just no, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm watching a guy referencing these old things, referencing these things he loves, but there's nothing to it. It's all just references. There's no characters I care about in this film. There's no story here. It's a, It felt like a director jerking himself off for two mm-hmm. hours, honestly. And he's even in the film, and he's fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. He's, this is, this is <laughs> the worst awful. acting he has ever done. But I feel like it is pr- appropriate and fitting for this film. I am forgiving of his worst performance of all time because it's in this movie. But that's the thing. He uses it as an excuse. Like, oh, this is a parody. It's, I'm mimicking a it's bad a genre. Valid, but I don't like excuse. that excuse. Did you not like Black Dynamite? I don't think Dynamite? it's a perfectly valid Black excuse. Dynamite's an amazing movie, right? Like, there's shit I like know, that I know, so throughout. much better than that. Black Dynamite is way more clever than this film. Well, first of all, Black Dynamite has way more jokes that are yeah. not related to the genre. It's It has, like, political humor. It has that whole shit with Richard Nixon. Okay. It's just a way funnier movie. And also, it doesn't take itself seriously at all. It's not trying to be an art film. It's not trying to play a con. Every It's it, it's just a total joke. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, people fucking dropping boom mics. There's people saying actions from the script as lines of dialogue. Yeah. And this film isn't that. It's partly that, but it's, it's also torn. Tarantino yeah, trying to it's make a real film, and it doesn't work. So you guys don't like that it doesn't commit in one direction or the other. I love that it's no. a mix of both. Well, yeah, because I don't. just referencing a bunch of things from the past doesn't make your own original story. Like the, the point of the film and what people get out of it is the fact that they recognize the references and they know that like bad B movies are fun and they recognize all the posters in the background and stuff. And that that's, that's fine and cool if you're into that kind of thing. But if you're not, the film's largely unengaging for 
a large selection of the runtime. See, here's the thing is that mm -hmm. I don't feel like you've described my enjoyment for me. Like, I, I don't feel like that's an accurate way of, of describing my experience watching the film. Like, what I get out of it, I, I don't find the dialogue terrible at all. And I, I kind of want to bring back the comments you guys made saying that you felt as though it was Quentin Tarantino trying to be Quentin Tarantino in a sense. Like the dialogue was essentially him trying to recreate other films or like the tone or like the quirkiness in terms of conversation of other films he's made. Yes. You feel that well, way? Especially in the, the second half. That's, yeah, that's, that that's a perfectly valid thing to feel. And I find that fascinating because there are tons of people everywhere that would say that about other films that he's made. Everybody has yeah. a moment in a Quentin Tarantino film where it's like, oh, this is just Quentin Tarantino trying to be Quentin Tarantino. For me, it felt that way at the in the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards when they're talking about like, oh, did you know that uh, you you wouldn't let a rat into your house, but you'd let a squirrel into your house? Well, technically, they both could carry diseases. Hmm, didn't think about it. That, that was one where it felt exactly as what you guys are describing to me. And I and I feel like no, I a lot feel of that different way at all. exactly, I and I find that fascinating mm -hmm. because a it's lot of different people. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing though. It's like it is personal preference, and a lot of pe different people have very different responses, especially when it comes to Quentin Tarantino movies. There's been people arguing in both of our subreddits, um, in Sardonicast and YMS and whatnot, about like ranking Quentin Tarantino films, and I feel like his filmography right. is one of the most like non-unanimous in terms of which ones people think are great and which ones people think are not yeah. that great i'm not They're a like big Marmite, fan of Django, okay. you know like like everybody has a different movie when it comes to that i find it fascinating i feel like most that... people go with pulp fiction or jackie brown i feel like those are the two people jump to mm -hmm. most people go with jackie brown in their like top quentin tarantino I feel like like a lot of film critics are like oh yeah jackie brown's my favorite yeah this is a film <laughs> casual film goers are usually like pulp fiction or Kill Bill. Some some people say, I've I've seen a lot of Kill Bills too, but it's mainly Jackie Brown and Kill and uh, Pulp Fiction. No, yeah, I I do find that fascinating that you know the the same criticisms that you could throw at pretty much any Quentin Tarantino movie <laughs> are are just scattered throughout his filmography, and depending on the type of person you are, you'll say the same thing about one and then just completely disagree about the other. Okay, but for the experience he's trying to mimic with this film, I want the Grindhouse experience. Or I could just have a Tarantino film, and he didn't give me either. I got a mix of both, and I couldn't tell whether he was writing bad dialogue or whether he was writing... Well, you also like, are forced to genuine. focus on it more, because they just linger on these scenes that yeah, don't seem to be progressing seems... the story for so long. I feel as though mm -hmm. it develops character, and in the same... Like, obviously, his newest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we're not going to spoil, his newest film is has very different goals, very different tone and pacing... But one could easily say to that movie, like, oh, yeah, the dialogue didn't really progress the story. Like, I had friends that I saw the film with that said that about the movie. Mo most people that didn't enjoy his newest film would say those exact same things about his newest film. But I guess it really just comes down to, like, what kind of tone and pacing and experience you really want out of a movie. And I feel like Death Proof, and, yeah, again, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but Death Proof is one where it really it really sells exactly what I want. I feel like it's like the perfect amount of cheese. 
the perfect amount of like character development and intrigue. I didn't find the characters in the first half necessarily likable, but I found them very interesting. I found what they were talking about interesting. I love the dialogue in the movie. I don't consider it to be poorly wow, okay. written at all. I guess that's the difference. Yeah, that's a huge difference because I think the dialogue is terrible mm -hmm. in this film. Which is why it's I wanted an example because I, I, I want to, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, but again, I don't have the script. <laughs> I should have written some down, but... <laughs> I want to talk about the the big style shift toward the second half of the movie mm -hmm. because Kurt Russell kills the first group of girls. Then it's black and white for like a few minutes as we're introduced to these not new in the cast uh, of grindhouse one, only in the extended. Not in the mm -hmm. grindhouse yeah. one. That's one of their so, change yeah. scenes. Mm -hmm. Also, the That's lap dance isn't in yeah. the grindhouse one. Yeah, yeah the lap which dance is a shame. Has, I thought like, the lap dance real. is one of the best scenes. Oh really? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Okay. I think, well, it was a lap dance, but like, it, it was well shot. It was like a well shot, well structured scene overall. Okay. But yeah. But like in the second half of the film, I think what he was trying to point out is in the first half of the film, there's a lot of close ups on asses. There's a lot of more misogynist dialogue. And I think he was pointing out the kind of misogyny of those films at that time in that era. Then in the second half of the film, the female characters who are more developed and more Tarantino-ish take down the misogynist man and completely demasculate, emasculate him by like kicking him and he's like screaming like a little baby. Oh, it's very satisfying. And they, yeah, and then they stomp on his face and that's the end of the film. Mm -hmm. yeah. I get what he was trying to do and I like that message. That's one of the things I like about the film. Yeah. But again, it's way too long and way too jumbled and messy for me to even get that out of it upon a first viewing i i didn't i i don't really uh i don't even read into it that much i don't i'm not like analyzing the themes of this movie at all i don't even feel like it's one where you need to and i'm not saying you're over interpreting it because those themes are totally valid oh no that interpretation is totally valid mm. oh yeah i think it is too because if, if if that's not an interpretation then i would say the movie is a little sexist because it has lots of close-ups on asses no well <laughs> which is it's fine if it, and, and feet feet and asses there's a lot of it and if it's a, i i think it has a point so i'm not saying that about well the yeah film. i mean like that's also an imitation of a style too right like exactly. whether whether or not he's it has point, a point he's highlighting being... it and deconstructing it which is what he always does yeah. and i like that i feel like it also has more to do with the characters that are presented in each half of the film right and Mm -hmm. I, I get that you guys were like totally bored uh, by these characters, but I really love that exploration that, you know, they're they're faced with this guy that knows them inside and out just by eavesdropping on their conversations like he has them figured out in a way where he can emotionally hurt them where he can he can make her feel bad that nobody came up to her and, and asked for a lap dance the entire night that she was expecting it and that she she felt a little wounded and damaged by it. Like, I love the exploration of these characters. I, f I feel like it's very clever. It's not just nonsense, you know? And, and it's not trying to be this, like, majestic art film for sure. But there is substance there, for sure. There totally is yeah, substance there. Is there is substance there. There's really, I, I really I mean. enjoy the characters and their <laughs> development. I don't, I don't think uh -huh. that it's just, like, a big waste. I don't think the dialogue's bad. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, a big difference we have. Yeah, neither there's so many scenes where I was just rolling my eyes at the at the dialogue like when they're just talking about how hard it is to get weed and shit and it's like yeah I, I mean even if you don't think in, it's terrible I think in terms of Tarantino's filmography it doesn't stand out at all in terms of the dialogue writing 
I think it's no Inglorious Bastards. It's no Pulp Fiction. Like, the scenes of these people talking just don't have that much weight to them. The story wasn't going anywhere. Uh, there was no, like, where is this leading to? That's that's how I felt the whole time. When he's at his best, Tarantino feels like the, the dialogue's just effortless. These actors are just, the chemistry's perfect, the scene is, like, uh, balanced in terms of, like, tension or whatever this, this is trying to go for. Yeah. But it just, it just, there's something missing. It's like missing that X factor that it's because they're not real characters. Have. I feel when you have real characters, it just rolls off the tongue. And these are like c cartoon characters. These are total caricatures supposed well, yeah. to paying to supposed to be paying homage to characters from fifty didn't years you ago. Just, didn't you just or, describe or, the kill <laughs> characters in Kill Bill as that though? Like you yeah. like earlier in the but they're podcast, way more fleshed that. out, way more fleshed out than the characters. And first of all, we have two films to flesh those characters out. These characters are killed off thirty minutes. It, no, I mean, like, there's different Maybe goals for it. the film, right? It's, it's, it's the, yes, different goals for the films, but, like, these characters in this film have no agency. They go to this bar, they say terrible dialogue, and then they get killed. It's a the slow The bride burn. in Kill Bill has a want, she wants things and goals, and that's there's interesting. There's a narrative really quickly. Even if it's a caricature, the caricature wants something, and I'm interested in their journey. I don't give a fuck about anyone in this film. The goals in the first half are more clearly defined by Kurt Russell, that's for sure. Like, we, the, yeah. all we know about these girls is that they're fucking awful people. We learn that, you know, she bullied Rose McGowan when she was younger. They have, like, a bit of a feud. Really vapid and self-concerned and, like, apparently Jungle Julia slept her way to the top and thinks she's hot shit, you know? And I, I feel like it's it's a really nice slow burn in terms of, like, the development of waiting for for Kurt Russell to ultimately wind up destroying them and killing them it 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 certainly is patient in that sense in terms of like that type of story structure but that's all i want out of it i didn't want this like complicated like they're you know comparing it to planet terror i didn't want any kind of uh there's this disease and like the you know the husband is abusive towards the wife and you know she's an anesthesiologist and you know this complicated storyline and bruce willis shows up like i didn't want any of that i wanted something simple where I could just experience the tone, experience the filmmaking, experience the characters. And I know you guys didn't like the characters, but I, I felt like I was just able to soak it all, all in more because of how it was presented. Okay, I get that. But the way it's structured, I thought, it, we say it's unique, I thought it made the whole film really uninteresting. Because you're watching characters with no agency being just existing. And then well, Kurt Russell comes well, in 30 minutes in and kills him. It's like, that, okay. The, that first 30 That's not minutes interesting to me. is effectively a stretched out version of the opening of every horror movie where the like villain or horror icon gets yeah. the first kill and kind of teases what's coming. It's, a, it's an extended version of that. And once you figure that out, love it's it. either, oh, this is a really cool idea or it's kind of irritating to you because you know it's all pointless. Like there's a reason those scenes are always so short in, in horror movies because it's they, they are pointless characters. Here's the They're thing, They're plot characters that exactly. exist to be killed. I feel as though because of how it's presented in this film, these characters aren't nearly as pointless as any other horror movie that we would be shown. I think they are. They have more development. Totally more development. And once again, like, I don't, I don't know if more you... development. I just think they talk more. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I just talked for a few minutes about their characters and what I was able to pick up from them. Like, I don't think it's completely substanceless. I, I'm assuming when you guys first watched it, you thought they were the main characters in that same 
subversion of expectations where they die was like, oh, they're not the main characters. I feel like that's something so genuine and unique to this film that you can't get out of pretty much any other movie because of that. You know, it's I'm sick and tired. Martyrs did that. Yeah, Martyrs did that. That was great. Like, that's part of the reason why I love Martyrs, too. Yeah. But it's very, very infrequent. It's it's very rare to see something like that because most of the time, the standard formula for a horror movie is literally just what you described saying uh, the opening scene is to just show the killer and to have people, you know, if you show what he's capable of, he or she is capable of, then people will be scared for the actual characters. And I, I really enjoyed that the characters that were basically used as an example for the characters that followed, I really enjoyed that the first characters had more to them. Like, we we got a story out of it, I feel. Like, I got a story out of it. I got a narrative out of it, rather than just like, oh, hey, I'm going to the cabin. Oops, dying. Like, you know, like, I, I, I love that so much. That's part of what makes the film so frustrating to me, though, is... Uh the way you're describing it and the way it exists on paper is is a good idea. There's some really fun, unique, fresh ideas that he's so well known for at this point. But there is just something not holding it together when you're watching it. It just feels fleeting, whereas mm-hmm. other films don't tend to do that for me. Yeah. I can't tell what he was trying to do, ironically, and what was intentional. <laughs> like, That's I just what I mean about the B-movie yeah. aspect kind of holding it back, because... Mm-hmm. It really holds it back. He should have just devoted to one Every, or the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, to talk about positives, I like the car chase at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. I think it's really yeah, well so executed. I. I think I've watched good. that a few times on YouTube. Oh, it's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> it's a good, it's it's a good, amazing. It's a well-made car chase. The first yeah. car One of the best car chases the best ever. I wish I cared. Yeah, the car chase is... Uh, I mean, the car crash is good Yeah, too, both of Alex. those. Which showing every yeah. perspective. None of that is done digitally. All, like when she gets her no, tire in like the it. face, like that's all practical effects. He filmed it with like a super high speed camera and literally just had this dummy rig with all this like fake flesh underneath her face and yeah. literally just had this contraption where a tire would s- spin and smash into her face and skid and all the blood comes out everywhere. It's such a cool shot. I love it, it so looks much. Amazing. It's some of the best mm-hmm. pe- practical effects. One of the best car the chases leg as after. Well. Yeah, the leg. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the leg sticks incredible. out of my mind. It's such a powerful yeah. scene. It's incredible. I, I think it's awesome. I love the editing in this movie. I think it was Sally Menke's last film before she died. She did all of Quentin yeah. Tarantino's movies, and I think this was the last one. I, I, I think that there's a yeah. lot to appreciate about the filmmaking in this movie. And um, really, yeah, um, like Tons. the second half, I think, yes, the first half, I, I gotta go with a no on that. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a no for me, yeah. dog. Yeah, no I think that's me, why it kind of fails for us is because the film starts to get interesting after that first car crash, really. Like, I am interested in yes. the moment starts it starts until the, the moment it ends. Just it's a wild thrill ride for me, even when it's just dialogue. I love it. I love seeing Kurt Russell in the background of those shots as the girls are talking. That, I love that is neat. How long was that single take shot? It was like what? Like uh, I think Six, I wrote it down in my phone. Something. Yeah, like this gigantic long shot of uh, Zoe Bell and uh, Rosario Dawson and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and that other girl. You know, I I really enjoy the dialogue in that scene. Like there's some really funny yeah. jokes. Like, you know, it happens to motherfuckers that <laughs> carry knives. They get shot. 
I, I love yeah. the development of their characters. I love how it plays into the end of the film. You know, they're having this casual conversation about two of them being stunt people and how Zoe's a cat, apparently, because she keeps, you know, they, they casually talked about a conversation or, or a situation where she was, uh, she should have died, but she didn't. And that just seems like fun, playful banter. But then it comes into play later, which is fun, you know, and it's kind of a joke in the way that it does it for sure. It's it's definitely meant to be like this fun, interactive theater experience where people are like laughing or clapping or whatever. Like it's the type of movie that I would totally just I would want to watch it in a group every single time. And I could totally enjoy it by myself, too. But like it's a very fun group experience. How did you guys watch it, by the way? Did you guys watch it in a group? Uh, no, this time I didn't. No. no, first time I think I did. First time I, I think saw that's it how it's best experience for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I could imagine. But I yeah. still didn't. <laughs> I don't think it would change my mind if I saw it again with people. I want to go back to the halves structure of it. Sure. You guys like it because it it uh it leads up and then they kill the main characters of the first half of the film and you're like oh I didn't see that coming, but then the second half of the film we're basically treated to a repeat of the movie again it's mm-hmm. the same exact fucking thing the girls are introduced they go and talk and eat and then kurt russell comes in and then this is the car thing except this time they win it's the same exact thing and i thought it was so uninteresting because it's like okay now i know what's gonna happen they're gonna they're gonna win this time so the first half of the film i was bored out of my mind because i'm watching boring uh cartoon characters and then the second half it was just i knew the st- i knew what was gonna happen i knew the whole structure of it Hmm. And I didn't like those characters either. I really enjoy the See, characters. Yeah, I like the second group of characters, mm-hmm. but I really don't like the first group. Mm-hmm. I think the actors are just better in the second, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that probably carries it better for me. I didn't think any of the acting was terrible except Quentin Tarantino, but <laughs> most of it I was... I think like they were really trying. The they, were, they were giving their all. I just think the dialogue was really bad. We kind of we, we briefly mentioned the uh, the car chase scene at the end. I think that it's fucking nuts... That he basically just the concept for this movie almost is just written around Zoe Bell playing a a character so that he can get the stunt Mm -hmm. woman, the real life stunt woman who uh, was Uma Thurman's stunt double in Kill Bill. He's like, you know what? I love you, Zoe. I'm going to write you a character. I'm going to write her in the same way that I've known you. And you can essentially play yourself. She literally plays herself in the movie. And basically Mm -hmm. just to have the excuse of this like 20 minute long car chase scene at the end where she's hanging off the hood of a car for real with like no wires yeah. or anything. She's actually doing it. I think that's fucking insane. I don't know if a, a lot yeah. of people watching this movie know that it's real stunt work and it's not, you know, there's nothing being edited out there that it's legitimately she's, she's hanging off yeah, the looks real. hood of this car <laughs> while the other car is like crashing into it and stuff like risking her life for this movie. Yeah, and awesome. it, it totally pays off. I think that it looks amazing. She's mm-hmm. also a better character for it too. Oh, she's, she's great. Been purposefully written with that backstory already in mind, and it and it helps with the performance. It helps make the character more interesting. Mm-hmm. She's got a strong personality right away. You like her, yeah. That's yeah. why I like th- that group a lot more. They're much more distinct and memorable to me. The audio editing during the car uh, car chase, like the engine mm-hmm. revving mm-hmm. in each shot, and like. You can hear their voices pretty clearly and and you can hear you can constantly hear the sound of like the wind and the 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 engines of the car like everything's mixed together really really well you know all the all the sound effects are very purposeful and like nothing feels out of place in that sense 
It feels like it has yeah. like a much higher production value by the time it gets to that point in the movie than yes, anything that he would be feel like they have parodying. higher production value. Yeah. And it catches you off guard. That's why I like it. He easily could have made something where in any of the death scenes, he would have had the excuse to be like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to make something that looks dumb and cheesy, like some gory Eli Roth thing where it's like, you, nobody thinks this is real, but it's funny because it's a parody mm. of a 70s movie. He easily could have done that, but he didn't. He made something that looks great. He He didn't half-ass it, and I love that he didn't. Yeah, I didn't really have many issues with the film on a technical level. I thought a lot of it was pretty good, but it all comes back to two things. It's, it's just the intent and the, the writing of it all. Because mm-hmm. I just just don't buy it, man. It's just kind of irritating, the, the gimmick of it. The gimmick is like the, the number one, like in the hierarchy of importance. It's This has to be a stupid B-movie first, and we have to make it look and sound the way those films did, and... Yeah, I mean, and it, tell a story it, second. That was the biggest thing. Yeah, that was for me. like uh, we're describing these scenes, which are fantastic. They're executed yeah. by a skilled hand. But then there's scenes like the sheriff and the deputy fucking talking in the hospital, and it's literally exposition. pointless. Is exposition dumb? Sorry, mm-hmm. it's a reference to the it's a reference oh, yeah. to the films from the seventies and the eighties that he loves because they probably have scenes like that where the actors couldn't show up for a day or whatever, and then the police talk and have an exposition dump. But that wasn't I a very long scene or anything. So... It was just transitionary to me. But why was it in the movie at all? Because it's funny. Those characters never show <laughs> up again. <laughs> no, but they show up in uh, Planet Terror, and they show up in the uh, the other characters show up in the Kill Bill films. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah. Like, it's all yeah. in the extended universe. He's, like, son number one. Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah, he's he has the guy a lot that, of references to his own movies in this, he's too. He's the guy that investigates the massacre uh, in Kill Bill. Like, at the wedding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I think it's funny. I'm trying to remember. Well, yeah. the Reservoir Dogs in the diner. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's obvious. I think it was Reservoir Dogs yeah. also. But it's just references. Oh, no, it wasn't yeah, Reservoir Dogs. It was from Dust Till Dawn. I might be talking about a different one. It was from Dust Till Dawn, He does reference Reservoir Dogs in... I don't like when Tarantino references his own stuff. No, no, I think it's I've come to I didn't it. like it in uh, I didn't like it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I forgave yeah. it. One okay. of the guys is named Antonio Margaretti, which is uh, the the scene in Inglorious Bastards when they're imitating the Italian people. Mm. That's oh, one that's of the funny. guys. He goes, "I'm Antonio Margaretti," yeah. so he like copied that. Yeah, he's very that's self-referential. It, that's the only one. I'll you got like Apple it. brand cigarettes yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. He references the Big Kahuna Burger, yeah. or like the that fast food chain in other movies. Yeah, in Death Proof, they're eating uh, the restaurant that they're eating from is like the Amigos or whatever that which which was like a fake commercial. Yeah. in between the films too, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I love that he doesn't mm-hmm. put like real brands in his films. I love that he's just like you know what I don't yeah, like, I like product placement. Yeah, I like that too. And so many people make the argument where it's like. Oh, you can't even make a movie without product placement. And he's like, yeah, I can. <laughs> I'll have fake brands. Yeah, fake cheeseburger. Yeah. It's like McDonald's. It's fine. Although they do reference McDonald's. <laughs> so there is product placement. It's McDonald's. Uh, That's not really I'm product sure placement, paid, though. They're though. just talking about, they're just talking about McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. But he did do it. Yeah. He did I guess reference so. a brand. Mm. Gotcha, Quentin. It was sort of just at an impasse, to be honest. I think I understand your positions well. Yeah. Just comes a down lot of to talent, like what you want out of the movie, all, right? All at the waste of a, an annoying, meandering vision. Yeah. Mimicking trash from the 70s. <laughs> that's, but, yeah, that's the thing. It's I like, what it. do you that's expect? I... If, you, if you're mimicking something that is shit, 
like it's gonna be a bit shit <laughs> yeah but <laughs> it's like it's inauthentic like... shit is the problem i do enjoy watching a like okay well i feel well it's it is inauthentic because he's trying to make a exploitation film from the 70s and it isn't that so inherently yeah, he made something new authentic. he made something yeah, he entirely made something, new which he is made awesome. a mix of that but also something new instead of just making an I homage to that or making a tarantino film i love seeing yeah. unique well, movies I didn't that like have never new, been done before I didn't like that's his my thing al- amalgamation of it okay something unique but not something that's boring and structured in a way that makes no sense and has pointless scenes and just references to old films without anything original in there this film has no leg to stand on 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 its own i feel regardless of the fucking grindhouse element and the gimmick i it doesn't have a story disagree. there that's interesting and that's fine i think there's nothing if to only it, the the pacing that. was a bit quicker i could put up with some of the other stuff but it does just linger well, especially the first yeah. section of the movie to me is just mm-hmm. really dull and un- un- uninteresting i could watch this movie a billion times and never feel bored I'm I'm excited and invested from like the the moment it starts until the moment it finishes. I'm just enjoying myself the entire time. So you, where does it rank in your sort of Tarantino list? So you've rated it what nine or so yeah. or something? Yeah, I give it a thinking, nine because you just rated uh, Hollywood uh, seven out of ten. Yeah. So you think it's better than that film? It's better than some of his other previous work? Well, first of all, I said I'm going to have to watch the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a second time. Mm. Um, I yeah. think that. You know, in terms of, again, this is all an argument on, like, intent and, like, the purpose of the film. I feel as though the issues that exist in Death Proof are more forgivable in a film like Death Proof that's not entirely trying to take itself super seriously. Because mm. I don't feel it is. And I I understand that you might feel as though it is trying to take itself super seriously. I don't think it is. Yeah, it is. It so is. something like Quentin Tarantino's terrible acting. If that showed up in, like, Pulp Fiction... That would seriously impact the, <laughs> my experience of the film, but it's showing up in this death-proof grindhouse thing. Like it doesn't hurt it at all. It's just kind of funny. It's like, haha, Quentin, you're bad, you know. But I'm, I'm. It's, it's an exciting, again, like kind of audience in, engaging kind of movie where like you can have friends over, you can be talking or shouting over it, laughing. It can be drunk people that aren't fully paying attention, and it's still a good vibe and a good experience. Whereas, like any a lot of other Quentin Tarantino films, I'd have to be like, "Shut up!" Like you're, don't talk over the movie, sort of thing. Right. You know. So it's it's all depending on the type of experience, and I I love those kinds of movies. I I love good fun movies that are there to entertain. I don't think it necessarily needs to be anything of like super higher value in terms of seriousness or tone or statements or anything like that okay, that's fine i don't hold it on high value at all so in terms of how i rank them i would say kill bill and pulp fiction are my favorites and i would consider kill bill one and two as the same movie uh those are both mm-hmm. like 10 out of 10 for me death proof might be my third favorite not trying to say that it's objectively the third wow. best quentin tarantino movie or anything but in terms of how much i just enjoy it in terms of just like my experience watching it i fucking love it like i i could watch this movie a million times for me, it's clearly his weakest film. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, all of them, pretty much. I think he even knows that. A lot of people feel that way. He's he's referenced it and talked about it. Yeah, he apologized for it, which I feel is sad because I think that has <laughs> I think that has more to do with people just being pissed off at him than it does about him genuinely feeling like he made something terrible. Well, because I think it's an annoying movie. Yeah, to to a lot of people, for sure. I think it's very underrated, yeah. but. 
I will defend it. <laughs> I mean, the marketing too is a little misleading. The marketing grindhouse and and death proof. You know, you're expecting a lot of car chases and stuff, and the film is a lot of dialogue. And the marketing I'm okay spoiled with that, the movie. As long as the dialogue is good. Don't watch the oh, trailer yeah? well, if you haven't showed seen the, the movie. car chase. It literally showed them. It showed them like winning <laughs> like the trailer for well, death yeah, proof is nothing like, else happens in the movie <laughs> you got to sell the movie on the action scenes right and there's no action yeah, except the true. end of the movie it's it would be very I mean, difficult to market again that's what I, the I'll films that, did back but... then yeah mm-hmm. so i mean it's just like a passion project the loads of people happen to get sick as quentin tarantino made it yeah it's almost mm-hmm. like more for him than it is for, for us and you're either gonna like it or you're not good then i, I won't watch it then <laughs> yeah. what would you give it out yeah. of uh 10 boys i would give the grindhouse version uh three stars out of five and i'd give the extended version uh two and a half stars out of five okay hmm. yeah i would give it a two out of five the i can't i can't remember the death proof from grindhouse all i can speak for is the new one that i saw the extended, the, the extended tarantino yeah. death proof which yeah. i give a two out of five okay I mean, just the fact that he re-edited it into his own like he re-edited the movie that's what lucas did too they're different versions, though, and you can still watch either of them. I don't care if someone wants to re-edit their movie. You could <laughs> you could say the same thing about, like, okay. Ridley Scott and Blade Runner. You could say the same thing about a bunch of... Mm-hmm. Ex- you could enough. say the same thing about Director's Cut for Donnie Darko. I don't know. Like, as long as you're able to watch both versions, I don't really have an issue with it. George Lucas's mm-hmm. issue is that he doesn't want you to be able to see the original mm-hmm. film. That That's what pisses me <laughs> off. Yeah, it doesn't exist. So I wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> it's the new one. That's the only one that exists. All right. Yeah, two out of five. That was fun. I stand by my older rating. That's all good. Also, Harvey Weinstein produced this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. cringe. That's a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but I mean, that's what I mean about like the. Every you have the close-ups movie. on the asses, and it's clearly self-aware and like more deconstructing that kind of filmmaking from back then. But also, yeah. Harvey Weinstein produced it. So, is it genuine? Did Harvey Weinstein order that? Because he's a producer, he has some impact on what happens Once in the movie. Once upon a time right? is Quentin's first non-Weinstein movie. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to read. I think Harvey Weinstein was less concerned with with butt shots in movies and more concerned with taking advantage of women in real life. (laughs) Yeah, but his his fucking perviness was all over. He fucking went into movies. It was in the movies he made. It's in everything. Okay, he's a creep. I have to see all of his movies then. (laughs) Fucking, he ordered Selma Hayek to do a nude scene, I believe. Like otherwise, she won't get the part. Oh really? It's like all kinds of shit like that that he did. Okay. Involved in his movies too. Yeah, whatever. Mm. <laughs> it bothers me too. That is a thing that genuinely bothers me watching the movie. Yeah, is like okay, there's a creep producing this. It, it does he know that it's like ironic? I mean, <laughs> even if you <laughs> take Harvey Weinstein out of the picture, there's still a creep producing the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a yeah. foot creep instead yeah. <laughs> has close-ups yeah. on feet instead of close-ups on. Yeah, he's clearly it's, a nutter. Yeah, it's pornographic <laughs> for him. Yeah. All right, question time. (laughs) Okay, let's head over to the questions, which we retrieve from the Sardonicast Reddit. If you want to leave your own for us to answer, just go to the suggestion thread that Ralph will pin eventually. Avery James 2004 is a question, which I believe we may have answered on the first one, but it's been a long time since then, and it's worth repeating, I think, which is, tell us the story of the the founding of Sardonicast. How did it happen? 
three DMs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll do a podcast. All right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> just add in message. That's right. Two shores, yeah. yeah, from me and you. <laughs> and that's it. We had all collaborated with each other in some form before this point. We were this. I yeah. think this was not too long after your not DreamWorks collection video. And I That's think right, yeah. I think mm-hmm. before that was the childhood trauma project. Mm-hmm. So we've all like collaborated in some did. form. We all enjoy each other's yeah. content. I've noticed a lot of crossover in terms of people posting your guys's content and crossover from fans in my subreddit, etc. I was like, you know what? I want to make a podcast. So then I messaged yeah. also you guys. a crossover of taste because yeah. we all have very similar crossover taste, even uh, though we disagree. Different backgrounds. Yeah. Or... yeah. All over the world. That helps a lot. Canada, US, and UK, all different points of view. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a cool idea. Yeah. I, I could at least trust that there would be some substantive conversations to be had, even if we disagreed mm. some. about some things. Yeah, even with <laughs> me here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to ask that just for maybe new listeners who've come in and maybe have wondered about it as well. Yeah. Don't want to fap has um, one that I've wondered myself. <laughs> and having to read these names and like, sure. just continue on as if nothing's <laughs> weird can be crazy sometimes. But this is a Lion King question, which I really want to hear, especially Adam's take on oh, this. No. But with Lion King back in spotlight again, are you guys, especially Adam, aware that the original Lion King is accused of being a ripoff of Kimber the White Lion? It features shockingly similar characters, themes, shots, etc. Matthew Broderick even admits he thought he was originally making a movie about Kimber. What do you guys think about plagiarism in movies and how much influence can a filmmaker take before it becomes plagiarism? I did not know that. Oh, you didn't? Hmm. I thought that that was no, common knowledge. at all. I okay, know about it, no. but I've never researched I've it. I've never heard properly. of that. Yeah. I mean, again, I just saw Lion King this year, so the original. Oh, yeah, of course. So I'm a little out of date with the Lion King There's stuff, a ton but... of YouTube videos on it. I've never really delved into it. I feel I've seen some interviews from some of the original creators of, of Kimba talking about how they went to the theaters and just like beat after beat. They were like, oh, fuck, I think they ripped off our movie <laughs> just as it keeps going. <laughs> but from what I understand about it, even though I haven't seen the original Kimba, Kimba there are still two very different movies even if there are a lot of similarities is it plagiarism there's a very high likelihood that you could consider it plagiarism for sure especially considering what other works of art have already been considered plagiarism i think some sometimes it's totally unfair like that recent ruling with uh, Katy perry's dark horse i think that that was just fucking bullshit and that jury is a bunch of idiots but Hmm. it's definitely a different film what i appreciate about the Lion King, I doubt I would find in <laughs> Kimba, like Jeremy Irons' voice acting, Hans Zimmer's score, you know, like the, it's not the same animation. The animation. Like, so what mm. I love about the Lion King, I don't think I'm going to find in Kimba, but I'll still watch it someday and see, yeah. you know, how, how, if it would change my opinion, I don't think it's going to make me love the Lion King any less, but I, I do think that based on what I've heard, it it's very likely that it could be, considered uh, plagiarism <laughs> in a court of law if it ever went to court, but nobody's going to take Disney to yeah. court over that. So Some of the most mm. famous films of all time, supposedly, are plagiarized from other sources, a lot of the time Asia, whether mm. it be um, uh, The Matrix or Inception, uh, The Hunger Games to a certain extent, loads of movies like that. Star Wars with The Hidden Fortress. That's a big yeah, one. Avatar as well is a big yeah, one. Yeah, Avatar. <laughs> Loads yeah. of films like that are just 
like a combination of things from the past and it, it, it's i guess it's just a case by case of uh, how egregious is it compared to like an original yeah. the original yeah. piece that is being claimed it's hard to, to differentiate yeah. you know what they say is there's like seven basic plots mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only seven stories and we just keep retelling the same ones but as long as there's like a a visual style or like some aspect to it that's unique some voice yeah yeah like i've I've seen movies that have like the same plots but they're told visually very completely different and i'm I'm like oh that was very interesting actually i enjoyed that oblivion with a moon i'll bring up the comparison between like under the skin and species again it's as long as the movie (laughs) has something that it wants to say and it's different i don't think it really matters if it's like the same plot beats or something like that. Just in the same way that I don't think it matters if a song has the same drum beat. Like, there's a reason why you can't copyright yeah. drum beats. It's because there's only so many mm-hmm. you can do, right? So, in terms of structure for narratives, I, I almost feel like it's the same way. Not to say that there's no new original stories being made ever, but I, I, I feel as though as long as the film is different, as long as though it's going for something different and it yeah. offers a different experience, then you can say that you were inspired by something as long as you're not just trying to create the same experience as what you're inspired by or ripping off, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. virtually every film is going to come from a point of reverence to classics that they grew up on, like Chris Nolan with Interstellar. Clearly, 2001 is a big inspiration to him. Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. a fresh, new. it's his original voice taking ideas and themes from these kind of movies and inception is certainly not the same as paprika yeah that's one of the things i like about edgar wright so much is how he's clearly his inspiration is very obvious um in his films and a lot of the time they are literally in the films whether it be on tv Mm -hmm. screens or referenced by characters but he uses it as a sort of jump off point to create a new story with references in in a similar way to what tarantino likes to do but you know with his own spin and energy and like edgar wright and tarantino do a similar thing but they're so unique that it works and you don't Mm -hmm. it doesn't bother you that they're referencing stuff all the time unless it's you Mm -hmm. know death proof debatably (laughs) (laughs) yeah ralph oh well you guys said (laughs) i guess we got nothing more to say you guys basically said everything yeah okay no i I have a meaty (laughs) question from uh AJ Ford 682 who asks okay since we're nearing the end of the decade we've got to have this conversation favorite movie of the decade so far he's got a couple of like of these like what comes to your mind oh fuck for favorite movie of the decade so far okay if you guys want to think I have a couple oh he also prefaced that Ralph can't say under the skin because that's too easy (laughs) yeah oh that's that's so funny (laughs) I would say um Social Network, Drive, mm-hmm. and Mad I was going to question Fury that Road. one. Cause those are those it, are the three, I think. The, when you and say, the skin. does the decade go from 2010 to 2019? Yeah. And then yeah. stop? I think okay. that's, yeah. yeah right, I'm just opening up my lists here. I've got Anomalisa would be my pick, probably. Anomalisa is a great one. That's on my list. I would put Scott Pilgrim versus the World on there. Really? Of best, yeah. Nocturnal Animals is also mm-hmm. a pick of mine. So mine too. I'd say uh, World's End also, and Good Time. <laughs> I love those. Yes. Yeah. Adam, you got any that R- fling I'm into your I'm familiarizing head? myself with uh, the, what are some the of the things tens that I've rated. So, uh, Phantom Thread, uh, The Is Lighthouse. Is Black Swan on yours? 
Black Swan. Oh, yeah, that's a good pick. I think might have been mm-hmm. a ten. I'm just gonna confirm that. I love Black Swan for sure. Like that's yeah. One of I my think it was your thing. favorite movie that year. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was. That's why. 2010. Yeah, that's why um, I bring it up. Going through. Birdman. <laughs> be patient with me. Yeah, Birdman for sure. Son of uh, Saul. I, Son I of Saul wasn't a ten for me. It was a nine, but I really enjoyed that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Anomalisa, yeah. The Raid 1 and 2, that's on my list. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> one that I feel like is at least worth mentioning, even if it's not necessarily my favorite of the decade, but it might be, is Her, 2013. Her yeah. is fucking mm-hmm. phenomenal. I think that that's an amazing movie. Let's see what else we got. We got Amour, we got The Hunt, we got... Basically everything uh, the Coen brothers have released. Yeah, Shame. Yeah, um, nice, yeah. Inside Dwayne and Davis, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. if I were to pick like a favorite of the decade, I would have to say like either her or mm-hmm. I might uh, feel that way about the lighthouse when I see it a second time. Wow, nice! Wow. Can't wait to see that. Yeah, are you yeah, fucking I'm very hyped about that too? It's playing at <laughs> TIFF. If you guys want to come to Toronto, it's playing at TIFF in like yeah. September. People are saying, like, this year's a bad year for movies. Not a lot of good Fuck movies coming out. People. But there's a lot. Of, yeah, exactly. That's how I always feel about those people. People there's say that in the first half out. of the year every year because most of the good movies yeah. come out, like, September. All the good shit comes out <laughs> the second half, yeah. yeah. Also, this summer was pretty bad for, like, uh, mainstream oh. summer blockbusters. Yeah. Blockbusters so in I general do were just that. pretty bad for the most part now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they always have been, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but they're not it's, even, it's... like, entertaining anymore. <laughs> they're way more cynical. The shark jumped like years ago now, so now we're just seeing abs- After just absurd shit. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I I marked that in history as the point where everyone just fucking gave the, up. The point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in the question, um, there are a couple more like inverse things. Like, what's the worst of the decade so far? What's mm. the worst film? Ooh. The Haunting uh, of can... Sharon Tate. <laughs> Even though I just saw that, but that's easily up there. Really? <laughs> yeah. Fucking really distasteful, horribly made, terrible acting. Ugh. Yeah, I have I have a couple. R.I.P.D. You guys seen that? <laughs> yeah, it's like a that it's like a Ryan sucks. Reynolds fucking. It's so fucking bad, and it's just such a <laughs> title sounds really funny. But yeah, re- rest in peace to Vision. I think it's it. like Men in oh, Black, cool. except with like ghosts. It's like a Men in right? Black ripoff with oh, like no. the most abrasive humor, awful visual effects. Ryan Reynolds being his absolute worst. I also noted oh. down like. A, a lot of the things Ryan Reynolds are in is like a pet peeve um, of mine. Like he's been in some terrible c- comedies and shit over the years. Mm-hmm. And finally, um, Suicide Squad. I think it's like the pinnacle of factory produced, just garbage like Hollywood production that's just that's a chasing choice. a trend, where it's just copying, you know, the Marvel basically with the Guardians of the Galaxy and that that whole tone. It's just such yeah. a failure on every degree. Like I really can't point to anything of quality in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would put Justice League on there, um, but mm. I think a big one, like number one, is Sucker Punch. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> I think Sucker Punch is fucking is horrendous and insulting, and the guy's totally up his own ass. He thought he was making Inception, but it, yep. it was like fucking terrible. <laughs> I, I hate when people try and defend Awful. that movie. And say it's like this feminist masterclass, and it's like, what? yeah, you realize you made this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they like, whatever? They're like scantily clad, running around kicking robots. That's empowering. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, give me a fucking break. It's so teenage boy fever yeah. dream. Not Food a good fight. idea to anyone. Is it that 2012 food fight? 
Mm. That's probably that might be worse sucker punch if we're uh, speaking like honestly more objectively. <laughs> I guess notable releases in this decade, uh, one of them being Birdemic. That's a pretty notable, yeah. pretty bad movie that doesn't understand <laughs> what movies are. I guess um, mm-hmm. Megan is missing. That was made this decade. <laughs> uh, if we're gonna talk like least favorite. Not necessarily like the worst production yeah, value. What, what, do you, what pisses you off? The the one that pisses me off the most would probably be Spike Lee's Old Boy. For being serious, good, uh, good wow. choice. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, have you guys both seen my review of it? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very good. Oh, thank you. It's very in depth. <laughs> I don't know many movies that I could rant about for like almost two hours <laughs> in a edited video yeah. like that, where all the fat is cut out. I don't even like I don't even yeah. leave space between my words and it still goes on for two hours. Yeah. It it's so fucked that film that I don't even know how you even chose like a place to begin. <laughs> yeah. That's why you just went through basically the entire movie being like, This is how it worked in the original and this is why it doesn't in the the new one. Yeah. yeah. I just had to go chronologically. Because there yeah. it, Those are literally often the hardest to try and discuss. Is just broken and just yeah. doesn't understand what the point <laughs> Of what it's trying to reinterpret is. It's like a husk. It's like a zombie. Yeah, it has no soulless. purpose. I, I have a funny feeling I'm going to have similar feelings about uh, the new Lion King, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That might take the number one spot. It might. But the another one that comes to my mind is The Last Airbender from 2010. The M. Night Shyamalan Yeah, But that uh, was a live great action. movie. What are you talking about? Oh, Yeah. Hundred percent. That was the best. Some movie. of the best performances I've ever seen are in that film. <laughs> it was funny. I can watch that. It was, for it was hilarious, but it wasn't it, trying it, to. Yeah, it wasn't trying to be funny. It was fucking ruining That's why for a me, beautiful it's the, show. It's the vacuous <laughs> ones that actually piss me off because like food yeah. fight is so stupid. Like you can't take anything serious. And the same with Birdemic. Like it's such a joke that it's kind of funny. It barely it's counts just, as a film. Hollywood Whereas these are like they have yeah. money behind them and they make these giant monstrosities. Yeah. yeah. You take an excellent animated show for kids called The Last Airbender and you fucking turn it into this mockery. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's it makes people angry. It's yeah. pathetic. <laughs> After Earth is pretty good. It is. Like you have two hundred million dollars to make a movie, you can't fucking make something good with this amazing source material. Yeah. You're an idiot. <laughs> like yeah. whatever. Got him. Got him. Well, the, continuing on, the most <laughs> underrated, which I, which I think is a good one. What is mm. the most underrated? For me, I think it's Under the Silver Lake. I think people would have misinterpreted that film on like a, me a too. more general sense. That's definitely um, up there. For it critically underrated. didn't do very well. Yeah, it is actually rated quite low. Yeah. I really think people should give it a chance. Because it's a very challenging film, mm-hmm. which is what you makes it great. You have to know great. what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. I still want people to go on that hike in the middle of the forest. <laughs> in california yeah. and see if we they can find something it. behind I'm, the rock i'm in california i'm like four hours away you gotta I go going but i don't, go do I don't think there's anything there i don't know <laughs> the reddit was talking about it they were like going on google maps and like trying to find uh, the like if there's any pictures of it yeah yeah the detail of that movie is actually flooring to me yeah how many layers there are to just interpret and read mm. into, and it just tur- it's turned all these people into the main character. For yeah, me. so <laughs> it's fascinating. So perfect. Well, that's so, so much of the theme of the movie is that. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's it's it was important that he pays that much attention to every little detail mm-hmm. and that yeah, all the symbols the mean movie. something. There is a cryptographer on the film, I believe, yeah. really, who yeah. like just went through the whole thing and fucking wrote sense. down symbols and shit. 
And you feel that, and you know, even if you don't notice it, your brain does, mm-hmm. as yeah. uh, Mr. Plankett says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, anybody listening, definitely check out the uh, Under the Silver Lake subreddit. Some of the top posts there. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy shit. Well, first watch the movie, mm-hmm. obviously. It's on Blu-ray yeah, now, yeah. finally. But <laughs> yeah, A24, you done goofed. You sabotaged yeah, you had this a, film. A classic. Yeah, cult classic yeah. for sure. This movie's not going to yeah, go. It away. will become. Yeah, it will become over time yeah. a cult classic. Definitely under the Silver um, Lake for underrated movies, I guess. Underrated the Silver Lake. Yeah, yeah, that's comedic. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's comedic. <laughs> Any other underrated, or should we move on to the next one? Uh, that's that's underrated. a good pick, I reckon. That, I'd yeah, say Raid I mean, One and Two underrated. Sorry, hmm. Raid One and Two for underrated, but that is attention. Hmm. The Raid One and <laughs> yeah, Two. Yeah, over time, that one's getting more and more. They're critically well received as well, though, and you know. I don't know if yeah. I'd call those films underrated. I think they did what, pretty the well. Films? Yeah. Yeah, they did do pretty well. That's why I'm saying like eh with a grain of salt. Well, <laughs> on on a on a similar note, what's the most overrated of the last 10 years? Hoof. Uh Jesus. Let me think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, first thing that comes to my mind is Black Panther. I don't I don't think that's my mm. answer, but that's the first thing that comes right. to my mind. See, mine was also a Marvel <laughs> movie. Literally best mine picture was, like Mine was Avengers Endgame. That. That's my oh, okay. pick for overrated because it's been what well, came out on digital recently or whatever, and it's all over movie circle jerk and stuff. That it's one of the highest <laughs> rated films of all time now, mm-hmm. and it's fun or whatever. But dude, like it, it isn't one of the best films ever made. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the Marvel movies are overrated. I think you could mm. put any Marvel movie it, to answer yeah. that question. But I think that for, one from was when the it, past it reached years. just critical mass. You know? Yeah, I get that. Hmm. Bird Box? <laughs> I don't know. Bird Box, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that film sucks. Yeah. There's <laughs> a, that, that's one of those ones where it's like, really? Everybody watched this? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm just scrolling through my reviews here, seeing if I can find mm-hmm. one that pissed a lot of people off. I know uh, Mission Impossible Fallout Spotlight? One, but... <laughs> Spotlight. That's, that's like my Green answer. Green Book as well. Mm-hmm. Green Book's pretty overrated, yeah. Green Book and Spotlight, I think, are good answers. Yeah. Those are probably... Jurassic World, I think that <laughs> yeah, that did well. Overrated. That did well financially, but critically, and I don't. Think I think it did critically, well. Jurassic World did pretty. Fucking... Critically, Let's it look. did okay. Let's look. Yeah, but it was more like mixed. it wasn't like ninety-seven percent, like like Black Panther, where right. I was like, yeah, "What yeah. <laughs> for yeah, this?" That, that's a good one. <laughs> oh yeah, critically, it only got fifty-nine Metascore. Okay, most surprising. What do you think's the most surprising movie oh. the last ten years? Probably Scott M- Pilgrim. Really, my pick is mm. The Lobster. I think that film oh, is really creative and strange and unique. And for me, that that was a great surprise that really gelled mm. with me. Had you heard of uh, the director before that point? Um, I think that was the movie that made me go back into his log. Oh, yeah? I went back and watched Dogtooth and yeah, enjoyed that as well. But it, it wasn't until The Lobster where I was like, this guy is really on something here. <laughs> Surprising, I would pr- probably top pick would be the Lego movie. Was not expecting that to be that's great. a good pick, yeah. Yeah, I was expecting that to be shit. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> most movies that have movie in the title are shit, so yeah, 
most movies made off of children's toys. Exactly. <laughs> Just recognizable brand, the movie. Like yeah. they're doing yeah. the Playmobil movie now as well. Yeah, it wasn't it sold on the trend. trailer either. It was just mm -hmm. very creative people making the film. Yeah. And they took what could have been like a cynical cash grab and gave something more to it. If you can make the fucking Lego movie good, then I'm convinced you can do anything good. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's a great answer, actually. Yeah. Well, there's one more, which is the most disappointing. Probably mm. Dark Knight Rises. Really? Hmm. Yeah. That was this decade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2012 mm. or so, right? And I still like the movie, but... It's no Dark Knight. I guess mine would be the whole, uh, just what's happened to Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Oh, over yeah. The, over the That's years. True. That's quite mm -hmm. a big uh, blunder, mm -hmm. ultimately. That was like a slow, painful death. It was like a yeah. knife. <laughs> I, I, it was started by It wasn't Abrams. one movie. J. It was J. just Abrams a slow... did what he does yeah. best and fucked it, really. Uh-huh. Hey, look at all these mystery boxes, dude. But then he just leaves. Okay. <laughs> just no plan. The fact they had no plan is so astonishing going, to me. Where's the story going, JJ? Yeah. Where's it going? I don't know. Yeah. That, that to me is such a blunder for the biggest franchise of all time. It is disappointing the longer it goes on. They knew they were going to make more. Like, why didn't they have a plan? Yeah. And they could have wrote, wrote, wrote it on a napkin. Fucking Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Whatever. Netflix Death Note was pretty disappointing. I'm not sure my expectations were like right. the highest but i was still disappointed <laughs> suicide squad i was expecting to be like at least entertained that was pretty disappointing <laughs> uh usually i don't have like super high hyped up expectations for things that turn out to be terrible i would say that my expectations mm. are pretty reasonable for at least yeah, my own I just taste stopped getting hyped for shit i think hype is That's bad the answer yeah. No, it is. Well, you're only going to be disappointed. You can never mm -hmm. be surprised if you're expecting everything to be the best thing you've ever seen. Well, yeah. for me, Dark Knight Rises was that experience. Or I was yeah. a teenager, I went in, I'm like, okay, that was a good movie. It wasn't as good as I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Maybe That's I need to learn to just watch a film and enjoy it and not pay attention to trailers or all this other bullshit that has nothing to do with it. Or you can watch those things, too. There's nothing wrong with watching a trailer. Detective Pikachu was pretty disappointing. But were you expecting something from that, that? That looked bad from the beginning, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't have high expectations for a lot of things. So. High life was a little disappointing, I guess. Mm. Oh, I yeah. can only talk about like some indie movies that I, <laughs> I thought might have been cool. Yeah. Guava yeah. Island was a little disappointing. Love Island. Like I thought, Hobbs Guava. and Shaw was disappointing. <laughs> Velvet Buzzsaw was pretty disappointing, honestly. I think that, oh, that, yeah, that, that I sucked. think my expectation really versus bad. reality was on that one was like pretty bad. You were disappointed by yeah. Hobson Shaw, Ralph. Yeah, I was. I suppose <laughs> I kind of was as well. Even I was for, like, expecting it to be fun. I literally fell asleep forty five minutes in. I was so bored. I I nearly fell asleep as well. It, That's it, so like funny. there was just no there was no plot or momentum. Like the idea of having action nonstop sounds fun, but there was and a like point where it just they, got so they dull. They thought this like improv insult thing was like so genius that it could carry the whole movie. So yeah. they just have Jason Statham insulting the rock and then the rock <laughs> insulting Jason Statham for fucking and that's like all they two did. hours, twenty minutes. That's the so only mode long. they were in. I heard that they have <sighs> uh requirements in their contracts for how much the other person is allowed to beat them up. So that it doesn't hurt their overall like <laughs> yeah. casting and image in future projects. It has to be even. Yeah. They have to both receive an equal yeah. amount of like punishment and give it out. Yeah. <laughs> so that neither so of them lame, can be dude. considered better. 
Yeah, well, like, Dwayne Johnson doesn't like Vin Diesel, so they don't work with each other. That's kind of why they gave him his own franchise. It's all just a dick measuring contest, isn't it? Yeah. Even outside of the movies. And it makes the movies just the same thing. And it's obvious to anyone who's, like, reading into it a bit. It's like, how dumb am I to be sitting here watching these guys jerk themselves off? (laughs) <laughs> how, how strong they are it's like fuck that's you that's what's pissed me off about I want to be entertained for so long now he's yeah. a terrible leading man terrible the, actor he, he never <laughs> yeah <laughs> he I would say no I disagree with you I think he's a good leading man in terms he has a personality but he's a terrible actor he cannot convey emotions what's like at a, all. a movie that's carried movies. by him Every movie is carried by him, basically, because no, he's in bad. fucking terrible movies. Yeah, they're all terrible, the but he just comes in and does his personality. He's like, hey, by him. what's up? I'm The Rock. That's he, he sells That's all movies. He does. And then the right. one time that something underperforms, himself. he goes on Twitter going like, don't listen to the critics for like Baywatch. He has yeah. a meltdown. Which like, is one of the worst comedies of the last 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That film is insulting as well. And he's the best thing about it again. Yeah. He'll be the new Will Smith at some point. He doesn't understand not having success. And then eventually people yeah. will stop seeing things because he's in it. And then he'll cast his kid in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And that'll be the end of it. <laughs> he's, he's just a prime example of the... This is a guy that like works well and has a work ethic. So in every movie he's in, we're going to just have characters say that they like him. So then the audience just likes him because everyone is told to like him. He we're plays just told a to like nice him. man who's also really buff. He has a daughter. <laughs> oh, and a brother from out of nowhere who comes in all of a sudden. They pull that whole thing with Hobbs and Shaw, and too. I swear he's like a robot because <laughs> he's supposed to have a romantic interest in Hobbs and Shaw, and there's like no chemistry. At all. <laughs> She's no like smiling at him, there. and he has like this dopey, just straight face. <laughs> like he doesn't know how to flirt. It's probably at all. like in his contract <laughs> that he can't do more than a peck or something. Yeah. You know? Just mm-hmm. a nibble. Maybe he was even in like Pain way. and Gain. He was good at Pain, pain and Gain. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably like, the only good performance he was playing like he a parody of himself though that was like the <laughs> yeah. irony of he it. was like a coked up fucking guy who lifted weights yeah. all the time that's probably what he really I'm is I'm just sick of these like characters that have no flaws like in Hobbs and Shaw the main characters that they're so boring because they can overcome ev- any obstacle because they're fucking yeah. superheroes. Well, they're part of an ensemble, right? So they're not really mm-hmm. all that fleshed out from these other movies, and you just throw them in this movie, but been and in they so have many no movies. flaws, like you said. They, <laughs> well, yeah, they but they're developed. all shit. They're all poorly written, they're terrible movies same. that are about car chases. <laughs> so they're not just, supposed to be good. Just sharing a Corona at a barbecue isn't character development. Yeah, that's, you're right. <laughs> that's the way they do it in that franchise. Exchanging <laughs> insults. And then suddenly, because because that's where in the movie they're supposed to be friends, they're just friends then. Yeah, Yeah. all of a sudden. There was like no arc. They were just all of a sudden friends (laughs) when it was convenient. It was so fucking lame. Have have either of you seen Southland Tales? (sighs) I've heard of it. Oh, is that that? It's like infamous. Remind me. It's from the director of Donnie Darko. It was the film he made after, Mm -hmm. The Rock's in it. Apparently, like, I don't know, when it came out, people were, the, the impression I got was that Half of the people fucking hated it, and half of the people thought it was genius or something. And in in Mark Kermode's negative review of Under the Silver Lake, he actually referenced Southland Tales as an example of like a director making something and then you know falling flat on his face after getting some notoriety or something. So, right, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I was mm-hmm. just curious because the rocks in it. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I would want to see it one day. It's okay. infamous for being yeah, like you said, uh, kind divisive. of divisive, polarizing. Yeah, divisive. Yeah. Anything else about Hobbs and Shaw? Nah, it was a piece of crap. Don't see it. It was boring. Yeah, it was fucking one you give it a, one, one out of five. Out of ten? <laughs> oh, so two out of ten. I gave it one and a half. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't like translating it like that, but I guess, yeah. It's a one out of five, two out of ten. Okay. 
Sure. That's funny. Do we want to do one final question or no? Don't mind. We could sneak one more in there. Yeah, yeah let's, let's do sneak it. A, sneak a funny one in. Some from some Randy. Are there any movies that you would judge people for liking? <laughs> I feel like there are, even though we don't say. Like we try not to have that in us, you know, <laughs> to judge people on movies they like. But when someone's like, "Yeah, I love Bride Wars. We should totally watch Bride Wars." I, I, I stand back a second. It the, from a psychological perspective, we're all technically judging people whether we try to or not, mm-hmm. right? I, yeah. So it's impossible not to judge people. So it really depends on how you define the word judge. Because I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm never going to respect you as a person because you liked the new Lion King. Yeah. One of my friends right, does. Right, exactly. I'm just like, I might translate that into, oh, okay, so if this same person says a movie is great, I might not take their word for it in terms of what my experience might be. I might be like, okay, well, you think it's great. I might not think it's great based on their other things mm-hmm. that they think mm-hmm. are great. Right. So in that way, yeah. In other ways... Every flight I'm on, I silently judge people based on what movies they watch. <laughs> yeah. There were so many there are vices. So, there are some films there. Yeah, that's a there are some one. that are so insulting that I don't know if I could hold back. Like something like inappropriate comedy. If someone came out to me and was like, "That film's a fucking masterclass. I watch it every day. <laughs> this shit's the best comedy ever made." I would be. <laughs> I would think in the back of my mind, what went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Who hurt you? Yeah. The same with movie 43 as well. <laughs> Anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Like you said, Adam, at the very least, I would double take and go, okay, maybe I won't watch like Solaris with this person if they say <laughs> a movie like that. You know? But oh, that's yeah. not bad. That's just like, okay, I know what to watch with this person. Yeah, exactly. But there's still films you can enjoy with them. Like I can show them fucking Shaolin Soccer and they'd probably really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, there's some so, friends of mine go. where it's like I can't show them movies that I really love because every time they've yeah. they've just like yeah. not responded well to it, sort of thing. Because it's yeah. sick shit. <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like every, martyrs, yeah, like martyrs. <laughs> what? Yeah. Not every movie I love. You is don't really sick. judge people. No, for... not every movie. You don't judge them as people. You just kind of evaluate. Okay, this thing that I like, I'm clearly interested in a different way to this other people which means the the crossover is going to be more slim as you were saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay i think that's that answer the question excellent good questions (sighs) yeah yeah those are some good ones pretty good uh i believe there's a recommendation i believe uh who is it i think it's me Ooh. Ooh. Uh, I didn't think too hard. <laughs> like, there's tons of things that I could be recommending. I didn't think too hard about this one. I kind of like while we were recording the podcast, I was going through IMDb. There are a couple things that I could be recommending. I think the one that I want to see the most out of the ones that are just like fresh in my memory of things that I, we could talk about would be uh, Southland Tales. So let's fucking do it. I've never <laughs> seen it, and I just I literally right. forgot that movie existed until we were talking about The Rock. So I'm let's do it. Southland Tales, Richard <sighs> Kelly, 2006. Mm. Supposedly this film, which, you know, he, he broke out onto the scene with Donnie Darko. A lot of people really loved him. And then he made Southland Tales. And uh, not everybody loved it. And it's considered very n- notorious in terms of how polarizing and divisive it is. And that's pretty much all I know about it, other than the rocks in it. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so who knows? It oh. might suck. It might be the worst piece of shit ever. 
Is it part <laughs> of the Fast and Furious universe? I don't know. <laughs> it's two and a half hours long, as I'm seeing Fast here. Fast and Furious presents so, Southland Tales. All right. Ooh. Yeah, that's a nice... Can't wait. Nice. Two and a half hours. Interesting yeah. point. I don't know if there's like multiple choice. cuts. I don't know how easy it is to find, but whatever. Fucking doing it. All right. If you don't want to be spoiled for Southland Tales <laughs> with Dwayne Johnson. Uh, the Rock. <laughs> yeah, The Rock. I'm the beast of Dwayne Johnson. If you don't want to be spoiled <laughs> for that movie, check it out before the next episode. Uh, in two weeks from now, it will air publicly. If you want to support the show or listen to these episodes early when they're edited, go to sardonicast.com, sign up for premium. It's $2 a month. Same thing with patreon.com slash sardonicast. Also, we have merch. All right. I guess I'll finally get to see this movie. I don't know when else I would have watched it. Yeah. I don't know how soon I would have. There's a few of these that I want to be recommended gradually, just like these infamous films. Yeah. Yeah. It was not on my watch list, so I probably would I've have heard never about seen it. it. But I'd never <laughs> yeah. had the guts to watch it. <laughs> I've always been curious since it came out. Yeah, that's the thing. And yeah. I've just never I'm gotten around curious. to it. So we'll see what the well, hell we'll happens. Find out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. So long, folks. See you later. Peace. Take care. A river Derchi. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> bye bye.